Greetings in the Lord Jesus. See, you could turn to Matthew chapter 5 if you want a place to start this morning. title this morning is, Do I Believe God? Do I believe God? <laughs> Maybe it's the way I ought to say it. And uh, I uh, came to this message partly because I thought maybe I needed it and came to the realization again lately that I needed it again. You know, we, of course we believe God. We believe his word. If I ask you, does God mean what he says in the Bible? Anybody want to say no? Well, we'd all say yes. Do I believe what he says in the Bible? Well, of course we do. <laughs> do we always obey what he says? Well, why not? And I think probably one of the verses that uh, made me think about this came across one day when I was doing something else and and I saw this verse, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. You believe that verse? Those verses? Two of them, actually. It, it just seems sometimes we find it sort of easy to think, well, yeah, it says that, but it doesn't always work. But did God mean it? <laughs> well, okay. So I was thinking, well, that's my point this morning. Do I believe God? You remember what the devil said first in the Bible? His first words. Hath God said? Oh. And yet we find ourselves sort of, maybe we don't say it, and yet we get so used to what the Bible does say that sometimes we just sort of give up maybe not even a mental assent to it we just sort of skim over it and yep says that and we go on but we don't take it and own it and act on it and if we don't take it and own it and act on it do we believe it so let's just do a little survey through the Sermon on the Mount this morning the first teachings of Jesus in the New Testament and, and think about it. do we believe God all right, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 3, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those people who are not proud, those people who do not spend all their time thinking about themselves. They know they are needy and lost and have, can do nothing without the Lord Jesus. Do I know that? <laughs> do I remember that? Am I that sort of person? Blessed are they that mourn, people that cry. For they shall be comforted. Well, what do we have to cry about? Well, our own sinfulness, our own tendency to sin, perhaps. Blessed are the meek. 
Not the one that puts themselves forward, not the ones that think they're somebody, but those that are just ready to obey God whenever he says, do something. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. And so, some mornings I get up and it's just a gray day and I've got a headache and I don't feel like hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Do you ever have those days? <laughs> but do I want to be blessed or don't I? And if I do, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to make a choice to hunger and thirst after righteousness anyway. Because that's the way to get filled. Blessed are the merciful. The ones who don't criticize other people. The ones who don't look down their snoot at someone else because they're different from me. The ones who are ready to extend some mercy and let people be a little different, ready to extend some mercy and even let people say nasty things about them without getting upset. And blessed are those who forgive even before the person asks. They should obtain mercy. Do I believe that? Do I act like it? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Those who strive to have inner purity, uh, let's see, how did David say it? Um, something in the inner man, I've done lost it. Well, truth in the inner man, okay, thank you. <laughs> that my motives are what God wants them to be. Blessed am I when I can have those kind of motives. They shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God, not the one who lets someone else rile him, but the one who says, I'm not going to get there, I'm not going to go there, I'm going to respond peaceably, I'm going to do what makes peace. These are the children of God, even if it costs me money, even if it hurts me, even if it means somebody has the wrong idea about me, or whatever. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. This one's kind of hard for us Americans with our soft life, and well, we don't experience persecution. Or if something happens that we do, it makes the news all across the Mennonite world and we write a book about it and it's pretty terrible and all that. And that's not what he said, by the way. <laughs> if someone persecutes you or hates you because of the kingdom of God's sake, you're supposed to rejoice. Hmm. Now, this is not one that we've gotten look for persecution if we're not being persecuted by the way this just says if it happens all right verses 13 to 16 you are the salt of the earth but if the salt hath lost its savor wherewith, wherewith shall it be salted it is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men you are the light of the world a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on the candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
So you are the salt of the earth. You are the thing that is supposed to be putting some flavor into the world around you. Does your life make a difference to those around you? Do, does, does your relationship with the Lord Jesus in some way affect the people around you? And if it doesn't, why doesn't it? Is your light shining? Can it be seen? You got it sitting on a hill? Is it hidden under a bushel? Are we ready to speak for the Lord? Are we ready to stand up and do what's right, even if those around us are doing wrong? Whatever. Let your light so shine. Verse 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. All right. Sometimes we get to wondering, well, what's verse 19 talking about? I mean, the law is fulfilled. What are these least commandments? And, and I tend to simply think they are the law of Christ, what God teaches us to do, what we know we're to do, we're to do them. The example of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. And then verse 20. The scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus did say once, so do what they teach. Just don't do what they do which is interesting. But our righteousness needs to, to, to be above theirs. Needs to, okay, come from the heart. It needs to transform our lives. And we need to be careful that nothing we do tears down the kingdom, detracts from the least or the greatest commandments of the king. Well, verses 21 and 22. You have heard it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in the danger of judgment. Most of us don't have too much trouble with that verse. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother, vain fellow, or stupid, or things like that, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. So we wouldn't murder. Do I believe what Jesus says about anger? Verse 23, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, 
and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thy adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. All right, so you're coming to the altar. You're going to worship God, coming to uh, communion Sunday, we might say. And you remember that Brother John over here has something against you. Sorry, John. Well, he ought to make it right, oughtn't he? Well, no, Jesus didn't say that. He said, you go take care of it. Don't go worship, try to worship me until you've dealt with it. So it's not, by the way, it's not just communion Sunday. It might be Sunday morning, might be Wednesday evening, might be tomorrow morning, morning in your private devotions. Well, you might not want to call John too early in the morning, but <laughs> deal with it, then worship God. How important is it to you that your relationships be right? That there be nothing between you and your brother? Do I believe God? You have, you have heard, verse 27, that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that if one of thy members should perish, sorry, that one of thy members should perish, and not that the, thy whole body should be cast into hell. Okay. This was impressed on me the other day or week when I read through Job again. You know, I don't know that uh, Jesus' teaching here not to look on a woman to lust after her was given in the Old Testament, but Job knew it. He said, I've coveted with my eyes not to look at a maid. It was part of <laughs> the people of, the real people of God from the beginning. So, brethren, we need to be careful where we look. Sisters, we need to be careful what we think. If thy right eye offends thee, pluck it out. Wow, did he mean that? Well, okay, I like to, I usually, uh, <clears throat> I usually interpret a little and say, be willing to do, take drastic measures to be obedient. If there's, you're having a problem with something, figure out a way to cut it off. If you can't handle that little doohickey in your pocket that lets you see everything there is to see, you get rid of it. If thy cell phone offend thee, cut it off, I guess we could say. How important is it that I keep my mind pure? Do I believe God? Verse 31, it has been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. Whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. 
good to uh, read these verses occasionally and remind ourselves, yes, Jesus meant what he said. Again, verse 33, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, that is, break your oaths, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all. Neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is footstool. Neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Swear not at all. You can't change anything of yourself. And uh, we, we say if you're signing a document that says on there that you swear, you can strike out that swear and put a firm. And we did that recently coming out of Guatemala on a Guatemalan form. And I thought, oh, I hope these people understand. <laughs> I don't think they paid any attention. It was pretty small print. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyway. But it's still a good idea to do. Don't swear in your writing either. You can't really do anything of your own so don't act like you can by calling on God to confirm what you say which is what swearing is all about and he also says anything more than yes and no comes of evil and so I don't like to say I promise or or this time I'm really telling the truth or anything quite like that just tell the truth period and you don't have to back it up with something stronger when people start doing that, it starts making me nervous. I don't know whether to believe them or not. All right. Verse 38. You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you that you resist not evil. Whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. So he slaps you on one side of the face, let him slap the other. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Give him more than he asked for. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. So we know how it was. The Roman soldier could force you to carry his pack a mile. Jesus said, take it another one. Are there practical ways we could put that to, to work today? Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. And I've heard discussions why that won't work. Those things don't work. And yes, there probably are some times when it's better not to loan somebody. They ask you for something, it'd be better to sit down and have a little talk with them. But I don't really think that's what he's talking about here. When somebody's trying to mistreat you, let them do it. Do I believe God? Really? Verse 43, you have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that say unkind things about you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which 
despitefully use you, take advantage of you, manipulate you in ways you don't like, and persecute you, that make life difficult for you, pray for them. Pray that God will bless them. That will make you the children of your Father which is in heaven, verse 45 saith, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? If you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? You be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And we all know that the... the the natural man, the natural inclination when somebody rubs us the wrong way is to get irritated and, and all those kind of things, but that's not what Jesus taught us to do. Do I believe God? Chapter 6, verse 1. Take heed. Excuse me. Be careful. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound the trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thine left hand left thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. That thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Maybe I'll read the next couple sections with it and come back over them. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Rarely I say unto thee, you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. All right, three different things here, each of them uh, somewhat similar. He says, don't do it to be seen of men. Do it secretly, and your Father will reward you secretly. So be careful to give your alms not to be seen of men. That's the basic principle. 
Sometimes you can't help but be seen. Sometimes you have to give to someone and they know where it came from, comes from. It doesn't uh, negate the promise at the bottom of the, in verse 4. When you do it secretly, there's a blessing that's not there otherwise. And I notice that's true with the prayer. We wouldn't say all prayer has to be private. But there's a blessing for secret prayer. That I don't think we should forget that. The fasting, the same thing. Not always is fasting secret. Sometimes it can't be. And sometimes we do it corporately. All of these things maybe. But there's a blessing in doing it secretly to God so that he can reward you openly. So we believe God. And, oh, I know, so somebody has a need and I want to send them $500? But it's a blessing to them to receive it and it's a blessing to them to feel thankful toward me, right? But if I do it secretly so they don't know it comes from me, there's a greater blessing. If I want to pray for someone, it's a blessing for them to know they're being prayed for. But if I do it secretly, there's still a greater blessing. And you could go through those things that way. There is a blessing to doing what you do before God and no one else. In all three of these things. I don't know exactly how the Lord honors what he says here, but I believe he does it. Well, the prayer. Vain repetitions. Just tell your Heavenly Father about it. Expect him to answer. He knows. Don't be like the heathen. You know, you see the pictures of the is it the Hindus or the Buddhists, Buddhists or whatever with their prayer wheels? They write their prayers on it. They can spin it so that it, it, it gets to their God 30 times in a minute instead of just once or whatever. Jesus said, that's not necessary. Take it to your Father. You look at his prayer. Our Father, we pray together. Hallowed be thy name. Worship him for what he is. Begin that way. Thy kingdom come. That's the important thing. Thy will be done in earth. Remind him about your daily bread. Ask him for forgiveness. Base it on your forgiving others. And that may... If we pray, if we ask for forgiveness that way, it will keep us reminded that we do need to forgive. Verses 14, 15 are pretty important. We've probably most of us seen people who, who confess that they have forgiven someone and then don't act like it. The evidence says different. That ought not be us. <laughs> Saying so doesn't cut it. Not, it's got to come from the heart. It needs to come out of the heart into the life. All right, verse 19. Lay up not lay lot whew, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But 
Lay up treasures for your lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is your heart? According to verse 21, it's where you've been laying up treasure. So don't lay it up here. Make sure you're laying it up in heaven. Well, how do you lay up treasure in heaven anyway? Give your life to sending stuff. Stuff? Things? Money? Sure, ahead of you to heaven. Use your life for the Lord's glory. Let's laying up treasure. The light of the body is the eye. If Okay, notice the single and the double here in these verses. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Now we could wonder, what in the world is he talking about? But I think the single and the double are key here. We'll go on. No man can serve two masters double masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other you cannot serve God and money it won't work you cannot serve God and self he could have said and I wrote in the margin next to that verse for example Balaam had a good testimony you can promise me your room full of gold, and I'm not going to say anything different than what God says. But he wanted that room full of gold pretty bad, even so. And he got it. He found the way to, to earn it later. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and self. you got to have a single... I with a single focus and it's difficult all you young men with families you got to feed them and clothe them you have to have a job you have to earn some money well I have to have a little too even though I'm a little older and just have a wife to take care of and all that but uh, we live in the world and we deal with the things of the world Somehow we have to have that single focus that helps us to somehow keep those things in balance. And it's not always as simple as we think it ought to be. But we've got to do it anyway. Therefore, okay, the next is sort of capping it all off, that part. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought or... Uh, I like the word the Spanish uses. Uh, it uh, means don't toil, don't strive. Take no thought. Okay, some of the other versions say don't be anxious about. Some say do not worry about. So take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet, your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. 
They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, don't be anxious, don't worry, don't toil for or strive for, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Interesting, I was looking at that verse and thinking, well, okay, really? People that don't know God, they seek after these things. Well, they do. But they go lots further than necessary. You know, we say, the Lord says, having food and raiment, let's be content. Well, they get more food, more raiment, and bigger houses, and more cars, and more boats, and more, and on and on and on, and keep adding and adding and adding stuff to their lives. For after all these things, they just keep on seeking them, even after there's plenty. You've got to have plenty for retirement, too, I guess. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek... Don't worry about them, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But you seek, you toil, you strive, you be concerned about, worry about, <laughs> first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all these needs shall be added unto you. Do I believe God? Do I live that way? Don't take thought. Don't worry. Don't be concerned about. Don't strive or toil for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And again, yes, we can go to other scriptures and they tell us where to take care of our families. We are. Uh, and yet, somehow we need to mesh that with this and remember... But God says, seek me first, seek my kingdom first, seek my righteousness, and I'll take care of those things for you. Reading through the Old Testament again, let's see, did I tell you this? I forget, I'm reading through the Old Testament right now, started January 1st, and well over halfway. I'm trying to read it quickly this time. And one of the things that impressed me is, again, that God never lets down people who trust him. He just doesn't do that. When people turn to him and trust him, he doesn't let them down. All right, chapter 7. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge... Well, what are we talking about here? Well, don't be so critical of other people, I think is what he's talking about, at least in part. Don't condemn someone. That's God's job. All right. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. 
fairly plain. It actually relates back closely to 14 and 15 in chapter 6. If you forgive, you'll be forgiven. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. If you judge, God's going to judge you the same way. But why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, and considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast the beam, the two before, out of your own eye, then thou shalt see clearly to cast the sty out of thy brother's eye. And what is that two before? Probably it's your own judgmental attitude for a start. So it could be other things too. Or probably it's your surety that you are right and he's wrong. Could say it different ways. And it was kind of brought home to me again in the last few days. I forget, I said it to someone, I'm not sure who it was anymore. But the thing we are quick to criticize someone else for is the thing we better take a look at, our own hearts. Because <laughs> somehow, it's pretty often our own problem too. And I have noticed over the years that the, the thing that I criticize someone else for pretty often not too long afterwards I find something very similar in myself happening and that has made me be a little more careful so and so he went and did that and that and that he ought to know better and three weeks later I find myself doing this and this and this and so much like what I was criticizing him for. <clears throat> oh well. Watch yourself and see. <clears throat> okay. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. And I'm not totally sure what all the Lord had in mind in that verse, but some things are, are not meant to share with the ungodly man who cannot appreciate them anyway. I'll say that much. That's one you'll have to talk about yourself later. Verse 7, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Everyone that asks receives, he that seeks finds, to him that knocks it shall be open. True? False. Well, it's true. Does it work? Well, not always the way we think it should. I mean, sometimes we think we're not getting what we ask for. Sometimes we think we aren't finding. But <laughs> let's don't let that not believe God, make us not believe God. Verse 9, Or what man is there of you whom, if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? 
And I guess you could turn them around and say, and if he asks a serpent, will he give it to him? Probably not. We hope not. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Are you asking good things of God? Can you be confident he'll give? I think we can. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is it. What you would like done to you, do to others. The way you would like others to treat you, treat them. The way you would like others to pray for you, pray for them. You could just go down through there and, and restate it in all kinds of ways. This is the law and the prophets. This is what God expects. The way you would like others to serve you, serve them. Do I believe God? We probably could take that verse and read it every morning and remind ourselves and profit from it. All right, verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow, restricted is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Okay, it talks about entering the straight gate, but it also talks about the way. It's a narrow way. It restricts. You can't just carry all your baggage with you. You have to get rid of it. There's few on it. The way that leads to destruction is broad and wide and easy. Which way am I on? Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. So, you want to know whether that book is a good book or not? Look at the author's life. <laughs> Look at the picture on the back, maybe. Good fruit doesn't come from a corrupt tree. And if the tree's corrupt, maybe you'd be better off to send the book on its way. Recycle it. <clears throat> Whatever. Or maybe it's the music. Same thing. Or maybe it's the CD. That's not saying that you can't get good things out of some, some teaching that's out there that comes from sort of questionable sources 
but there's danger there. Verse 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have taught Sunday school, and preached sermons, and ushered, and did all kinds of, well, did all kinds of work on Strasburg Church, and we could just go right on through all the things we've done in the name of the Lord. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And so there you have it. Verse 21. He that doeth the will of my Father. He that does what God wants him to do. Or, I never knew you. In the next verse. You work iniquity. Do I believe God? Or is it okay to allow a little iniquity or let things pass without dealing with them? And then I think the last few verses just kind of nail it down for us again. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, this is Jesus speaking, and does them I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Do I believe God? Do I obey him? Do I build on the foundation, the Lord Jesus, in obedience? You look at those verses, and probably if you're like me, you usually think about the end of life. You come to the end of life, and there's judgment. Either the house falls, or it doesn't. But it's not always that way. The tests come in this life, too. Sometimes the storms hit. And what we've been building on becomes obvious by our responses, the way we end up. Well, you can think more about that. Do I believe God? Do I really just take his word, what it says, and build my life on it? May God help us. That's how it's all.